comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Are you dead or insane? This is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Jeremy Bai for another episode of the Righteous Blood Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about Swordsman and the Enchantress and the Eleventh Son. Swordsman and the Enchantress is a 1978 film directed by Choi Yuan. It stars T. Lung, and it's based on the book Eleventh Son by Gu Long. Um, it takes a lot of liberties. We've sort of been uh, delving into exactly how many because the Eleventh Son is actually part of a two-part series and only the first book is translated into english and i've only read the the first book as a result and i believe jeremy you've only read the first book as well i don't know if um and so you know we 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 tried to find some synopses of the second book in order to clarify how much of the film was invented versus how much was just taken from the second book um but the end result is if you read the eleventh son and you watch the swordsman and the enchantress they end up being quite different stories, I think, or at least the the overall feeling of them is very different in a lot of ways. Um, but there are similarities too. So, uh, so Jeremy, why don't you start and just talk about you know I don't know how you feel about the Eleventh Son as as a book and how you feel about Swordsman and the Enchantress as a movie. Well, this is in terms of the book is probably one of the pivotal books for me because back when I was first getting interested and and. Uh, looking into Wuxia, this was uh, around the year 2000, which was when Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out. That's what did it for me, what kind of got me interested. This was, I don't I, I don't have the book in front of me. I have it in the other room. Um, I, I don't remember the publication date, if it came out before. I think it, it came out It was like 2005, after. I think. I yeah, think. it was a few years after Crouching Tiger, because when Crouching Tiger came out, it kind of, it kind of spawned a, a translation, uh, like craze sort of. In any case, uh, this was one of the first that was available for purchase. That was like an official translation. Um, it still is one of the very few that's available. And I think it's the only Goulon one that's an official translation, if I remember correctly. Yeah, no, that's definitely so, true. Cause I've, I've so it was very it. pivotal for me. Like I really, you know, it, I, I was excited to have an actual physical printed Wusha book that mm-hmm. I could read. And... The thing is, though, you know, I bought it. It probably was the year it came out, so it would have been 2005. It, it may have, I may have picked it up like a year later or something. I forget. But you know, here we are in 2021. It's quite a few years since I've read it. I've had it on my shelf. Well, I didn't have it on my shelf in China. I left it here uh, in my hometown when I moved to New York City and then to China and then came back. And it was, I found it in the attic of my dad's, like storage room or whatever when i moved back and was going through old stuff so i'm that's a roundabout way of saying i haven't read it in a long time Mm -hmm. so i actually don't really remember a lot of the very specific details like there's little flashes that jump out one of them that that i never forgot about for all of the years was the description of that really freakish guy in the beginning you know he has like one arm longer than the other i think he's called the hawk king or something like that Uh, and I, i i even i did a a blog post recently about Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades, where I, I, I quoted that 
um, section just because I never forgot that that description of that guy, even though it doesn't really have much to do with the story in general. I think he, he gets killed or, or yeah, he I gets, forget. Uh, I forget if he dies. I think he does, but he might just end up getting like his arm cut off or something. I can't remember yeah, exactly like what happens. But... The point is he's not like a main character or yeah. something. Um, then I remember the ending. The ending... Uh, oh, so I don't remember a lot of the details of the novel, but I do remember um, the impression it left on me. Uh, I put this on my list of top five Wusha recommendations when I did a YouTube video on the subject recently. Um, but again, I, I don't remember a lot of the specific plot details because it's okay. been probably about 15 years since I read it. But I do remember the, the how much I liked it, and I do remember um, the feeling that it left me when I finished reading it. I, do, I did read it a couple times back when I originally got it. Uh, I remember it being very emotionally impactful to me when I finished reading it. So I've always, it's always held a place in my heart and I would still recommend it. And one of these days I'm going to go back and read it. I probably will read it in Chinese this time since I can read Chinese now. Um, and then going, switching to the movie, I hadn't watched the movie before. Uh, oh, this is your first uh, viewing of the movie? It either it yes either that or I did watch it and like forgot about it yeah. because of, of not realizing the connection with um, the book. Well, and that's easy uh, to do with Shaw Brothers films because if you watch a lot of them, like they do, kind of blend together yeah. after a while. Sometimes it's like yeah. I call it the Taco Bell effect when like there's a lot of ingredients that are similar, just arranged in different orders sometimes, and you know, <laughs> right? Um, and and to be honest, like it, it, I didn't dislike it in any way, and there it's really cool, but it wasn't. It's not one that I feel would be particularly memorable mm. for me personally. I liked it and whatnot, but it just, there wasn't, you know, like there's there's some movies like, you know, what are, I don't know, Killer Clans or yeah. um, whatever, where it's just like, they're very, very iconic. And this, I feel like, wasn't, wasn't one of those. In any case, uh, I liked it. And it, to me, actually, one thing it did do was it cemented even further how much I like T-Long. I just really like him. Yeah. Yeah, he's I, cool, I, and I think even though the even though again the movie wasn't massively memorable, it just he played a played a character that was you know he can play so many different characters, and so I kind of liked that. Um, uh, I just I really like his his style, and I like him. And uh, other than that, the you know there's so much stuff in the movie that comes across in the game, but as you and I were kind of going back and forth before hitting the record button. I don't think there's anything specifically in it that we haven't talked about before. Yeah. Um, but it does have all of the same kind of things we do talk about. It has the plot twists and it has the character interactions and it has the eccentric characters and it has just all these different elements. Um, there is one unique aspect, which is the 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 mansion and the, the puppets, they call it, in the in the translation of the movie that I watch on Amazon. I can't remember what they call them in... In the book, if they call them dolls, or they, they call, call them puppets. The tra they were translated as dolls, but in the movie, puppets made more sense because there's a line in there where he says, in reality, all men are puppets. And so it kind of tied the, everything together. I don't remember a line like that being in the book. It might have been, but I can't remember. I mean, and it's funny. I So my, my, my experience with the book is I've... Um, I've, I've, I usually read it every couple of years or so, and I reread it for this podcast, but I'm not the best at remembering specific details even after I've read something. So... I, I don't know if that is in there, but um, the the you know the book was one that had a very big effect on me because I uh, I was always I, like you kind of dived right into the whole wuxia reading thing and everything, and I was a lot more reluctant because most of what was out there was either 
translations I wasn't super happy with when I looked into them, like the uh, the Jin Yong translations of uh, like Deer in the Cauldron and stuff like that. Like I I just had trouble getting excited about those, and um, and most of it was stuff online. And and as a writer, I was always worried. Well, if I read online translations, is that going to affect my writing? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that going to make me just because it's like most of the fan translations are fan translations. So you don't know, you know, what the, you know, what the quality level is going to be like. And so Eleven Sun was one of the, I think it was the first Wuxia story I read. Um, and, and I fell in love with it right away. And I also realized how different a Wuxia book versus a Wuxia movie is when I read it. Cause I was like, oh, wow. Like you can really get into descriptions that don't translate well on the screen. Do you know what I mean? There's just like things in there that don't translate into screen. And um, I thought that the, uh, uh, I don't know, that was my first, like I had seen a ton of movies based on Gulong stories. I didn't, re I didn't realize until I read that book just how much of an impact he had on so many of the movies I liked. And I didn't realize, you know, just how, I don't know, that's just kind of when Gulong opened up for me. And that's when I started looking into reading. That's when I was like, okay, I got to read more stuff by this guy because i like this one um and for people that don't know the story it's pretty simple it's basically one of these tales where a weapon called deer carver gets dropped into the martial world and people kind of start fighting over it and there's a group that's supposed to be escorting it and it opens up with a character named feng Xinyang, who's this she's kind of a harlot type character right not a harlot but she's kind of like a she's a little more racy than your normal, uh, you know, wuxia heroine, I would say. And she's friends with uh, uh, Zhao Xilong, but uh, you know, she wants to acquire the weapon, so she, you know, she has all these people she wants to team up with. It turns out Zhao is like, gone and, like, maimed all of them for various reasons. So she ends up having to kind of, you know, team up with him. And there's this whole thing where she tries to get the deer carver blade, and oddly enough, in the story, that plot thread kind of falls by the wayside, I feel like. And then it really becomes about this story between Zhao Xilong and the wife of the guy who is supposed to be escorting the deer carver blade. And it, and it turns into this story that's really about the hypocrisy of sort of the elite martial heroes who are uh, like well-bred landed gentry types and guys like Zhao Xi Long, who's sort of more of a wanderer and comes from a lower birth. And he falls in love with this woman who's part of that higher order. And then the culmination of the book, they find themselves trapped in this dollhouse that you're not sure if it's really a, they've been shrunken down and put in this house or if they're being misled. And they have to face off with this terrifying villain who I think his name is translated as, count carefree there's a lot more to the story than that but that's kind of the bare bones and then the movie is is basically kind of that story uh but they they throw in a bunch of other elements and they tell it in different order and they downplay some of the characters like feng xinyang isn't that important in this story um i you know i kind of agree with you i don't think the movie is like it's not exceptional like heroes shed no tears or um uh you know uh you know the brave archer series or something that like really stands out it's like wow i really like you know it's like really top quality it's still really high level wuxia though i think it's like you know like i would give it a solid bb plus for a grade and i think one of the things that's good about the movie is it has all these weird wacky elements that like like this would be okay to show to somebody as their only if you wanted to give somebody an example of what wuxia can be 
it would be okay to show them this movie as as a solo example because I think it's got enough of the tropes crammed into it that I mean there's even they they even work Mei Chao Fung in there at one point into the uh, into the backstory of one of the sex so you know which is from another writer so there's a lot of stuff here and uh, and I also agree with what you were saying about T Long I think his um, I think his performance in this is particularly good and and even though it's kind of an odd movie that in some ways the storyline doesn't quite make a lot of sense when you really start to think about it. I feel like, uh, T lung does a lot to, to really make you believe everything. Even if, even if stuff that's going on is kind of not as believable as it is in other movies. Yeah. I think, um, there are some oddities about the movie. I think, well, to, for instance, I was watching it with my wife, um, at the, at the, uh, the lunch table today because I was I was racing to finish watching it. Um, I have two kids. One's seven months now. One's five years. And so sometimes, depending on the timing, it can be rough to sit down and actually watch a movie. Point is, I was watching it at the table with my wife. No, she's Chinese, and there were like plot points that were intended to be like mysterious or like for instance the thing you were mentioning about the dollhouse and different yeah. things that are intended to be. And I think in the book they all they come across as being mysterious and and but my my wife was literally just calling them out she knew nothing about the movie and she's like oh well it's probably like this and i was like and she's never seen her anything so i feel like there was something kind of i don't even know how to put my finger on it but there was something kind of like maybe rushed about the production or i i honestly or maybe the script i honestly don't really know but i just found it kind of funny and weird that she was identifying the secret plot elements without any knowledge well, or anything just by is what it, they were saying and stuff. Well, let me ask you this. Is it possible that she's seen one of the Zhao Xi Long series and remembered or? No, she oh. like other than, um, other than I think demigods and semi devils or some, I always forget. Is it semi god? I, I get it. I get it reversed all the time too. Yeah. So, yeah. Other than that. Um, and you know, there's a couple really classic, um, eighties Wuxia TV shows that were really popular. Other than those, she's not really okay. like a big fan. Like she liked that stuff when she was a kid, but she's not a, a Wuxia groupie. I think it, I, it's also possible. It's just, she's not, she's also not much of an old movie buff. Like she mm-hmm. likes new stuff. Um, she, she likes modern stuff with like, you know, it's good special effects and whatnot. So, I think sometimes older movies are just what, a, a, an acquired taste for some people, I guess you could say. Well, whenever I try to get younger people to watch the uh, the Shaw Brothers films, the first thing that I usually hear is, what's with all the stages? Like, why is this all happening yeah. on a stage? You know, yeah. so, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it definitely has a look that might not appeal to a modern audience. Um, yeah, I, I think there is a difference. I, I think another aspect of it, too, though, is the the book. And again, I'm going by the translation. I don't know how it sounds in the original Chinese. But even in translation, I really felt like there was a kind of dreamy quality to a lot of the prose and a lot of the way he described things. So that by the time you got to the dollhouse, you were already almost kind of drunk on the prose. And it and it sort of said, well, OK, I've bought all this other stuff. Why not? Uh, you know, people shrinking down in size. And go, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so, you know, and, and I think, too, in the in the movie, I do feel. I don't know what it is, but I feel like it's a little more obvious somehow. I don't, I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, and obviously I can't recapture the experience of not knowing and seeing it for the first time, but I feel, I feel like it is a little bit more obvious. Um, but it also doesn't kind of matter because I feel like the, 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 the real story is about, uh, 
Zhao Xilong and the Shen Bijun romance, right? So like the um, them being trapped in the house is almost to, to me what the what the the thing that I like about the book versus the movie. The movie ends with what you expect in a wuxia film, which is you get a big battle at the end, right? You get like a series of little battles and a big battle at the end. And the book doesn't really end with a big fight scene, right? It ends with him being trapped in this dollhouse and a bunch of investigative work and then like little minor clashes here and there and then a big confrontation that takes place off camera that you never you don't know the end of um so yeah well as i was i so i did some digging on baidu to check about the second book um to see kind of if you you were wondering uh, if the movie kind of tries to incorporate elements from the second book and i didn't really get a good answer to that because uh, the Baidu, so there's a Wikipedia in China run by Baidu. So the Baidu wiki has just about every Wuxia book and everything, but it doesn't have very really elaborate summaries. Some do, some don't. And for the second book, the follow-up, I think whoever wrote the summary didn't want to spoil the end, so they made the summary more like the back of a book, like okay. kind of trying to get you to read it. Uh, it has character profiles for all the main characters, and based on the information in the profile... I think that the ending of the movie, this is, again, I'm, don't take this as gospel if you're a movie buff or, or, or interested in the story. I, but basically, I don't think the ending of the movie is relevant to the second book in the, in the, the second book at all. I think they basically just okay. made up a new ending to fit what they thought was a better story or and, something. Um, and then the second book essentially picks up, from what I can tell, picks up from where the first book ends and then actually tells the story. So I think that, you know, me and you have gone back and forth about this in the past, about whether this was a complete translation, because I was under the impression, I think, as you were, that that it wasn't a complete translation. So that's kind of true and kind of not true. It is a complete translation of the book, but I think the I think it's intended to be read as two books, basically. Okay. So, well, well here, here's my thing, though. I, I actually, when I first read it, I thought it was a complete translation. I thought that was just... The, I thought it was just like the twist was the fight happens off camera and what really matters is what's going on with Shen Qiang. No, sorry, Shen, <laughs> Feng Shenyang and uh, Yang Katai and their whole romance and her realization. Um, and then it wasn't until you mentioned that it was a cliffhanger that I started to, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah. You were the one that brought that up to me. I didn't know. Because when I think, I think when I first looked it up, you know, Wikipedia was basically where I went to look up the Gulong list, yeah. right? And I don't think that I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they're what they only had the first Eleventh Son on there. I don't think they had the second one on there. And if they did, I didn't see it. So I thought it was just a standalone novel. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I I don't remember what I was thinking back then or or how I got the idea, but I also got the uh, the impression that it was an incomplete story. Uh, based on the Baidu wiki, it looks to me like the first book um, came out in 1969, and then the second one didn't come out till 1973. So okay. I, I, I imagine that he, I, you know, who knows whether he envisioned it as being a two-part story and then just waited a few years to write the second one, or if he did envision it to just end that way and then later okay. was like, hey, you know what, I want to tell the rest of the story. I don't know. I think, you know, I my my work... Uh, for the past several years has been translating um, uh, fantasy novels, primarily the Sanxia stuff. I haven't actually translated a wuxia, wuxia story for a really long time. And 
one of these days, if I have the time, you know, I'm, I kind of dream of going back to doing that. The, uh, on the downside, it's not really financially viable to translate Wuxia novels. Um, the market just, for the most part, is can't support there. that as a as a as a full time work. Mm. Uh, second problem is that, based on my understanding, um, there is some unknown media company that bought the rights to all of Gulong's works. I think that's what I've been told. Uh, okay. The owner of Wuxia World uh, has connections with all of the not all of, them, but with many big publishers in China, including ones that do traditional publishing of like printed novels and whatnot. And that's what he told me. He said that he heard from somebody that the Gulong rights were bought up. He didn't know who they were or what they planned to do with them. So that's another problem. Uh, But who knows? Maybe one day if I have the time to do a fan translation again, I might translate the second Eleven Sun novel just so that I can find out what happens because I'm curious as well. Yeah, I'd really like to know. But I will say I think the story works on its own just because that is such an interesting way to end a story where it's sort of like that, you know, it's sort of like because the thing that happens is they both go off to fight carefree together so it's sort of like they both are you know clearly kind of acknowledging their love and facing whatever doom they have to face but uh uh but i like that it then shifts focus to the character it opened with which is the fun character and and i always kind of liked her as i just thought she was an you know she opens up and it's a very famous scene and all the shows they usually open with the scene where she's in the bath in the in the in the inn on on like the bandit mountain and she gets attacked and then you know it's just this great scene um but i i like that the uh that the story kind of shifts to sort of like what's going on internally with that character um which is something again you don't really see in the movie because her relationship to zhao is so different in the film um but uh but yeah i i think in terms of the ending in the film it's so different like in the book at least in the first book, maybe in the second book, it retcons a lot of stuff. But in the first book, Shen Bijun and Zhao Xilong are clearly in love. And, and it always struck me as a plot that was kind of like um, that film Trust, Lost in Translation. Do you know what I mean? There's like a, like the whole thing is he's having an affair with a married woman. Do you know what I mean? And so like the reason that they're never, that, 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 that I think it makes sense for them to end up at the dollhouse is it's kind of like this time for them to like really hash out that drama. Do you know what I mean? It feels it feels very natural and you don't feel the need for a big battle to arise just because there's so much human drama going on. And in the movie, they end up making her the the secret daughter of of Lord Tion and and uh and and I don't know that I I guess it's still not totally contradictory cuz she still says she's in love with Zhao. But it's just a really weird twist because then when you go back and think of all the things that happened, it just, I don't know, it just feels like it doesn't quite line up. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, did you have that same reaction or did you think that it it, it lined up okay? Um, I, this, well, actually, the funny thing is, this is one of the things my wife, like, picked up on, which okay. was, and again, I haven't read the book in a long time, so I, I kind of remember the, the vague general plot yeah but I couldn't remember all the details. She almost immediately was like, oh, I bet you she's actually working for the dollhouse people. <laughs> okay, and I was like, you right. know what? I honestly can't remember if she is or not. I, I didn't At remember. At what point in the movie on. did she say that? I'm very curious. What? At what point in the movie did she make that observation? Um, I think it was when they went in and drank the tea. It was okay. roughly around that part. I, I don't okay. remember specifically like if there was one line of dialogue that prompted her to say that. But I was like, I, I, I couldn't okay. remember. And then 
as I was watching it happen. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, so I, it's hard to say. I I think, you know, pure speculation. I just wonder if it was something that, that came, that was planned from the beginning in the production or if it just happened naturally. Because if, if it happened naturally, then maybe that would explain why. Uh, what I mean by naturally is maybe they got to that point and they were like, let's switch things up and it wasn't planned in the script, or maybe it was, I don't know. Uh, if it if it happened, you know, kind of spontaneously, then maybe that would explain why it didn't make sense to you. I don't know. I mean, it's one of these things, too, where, I mean, it's sometimes you can get too picky. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I suppose I'd have to really go back with a fine-tooth comb to really look at it and say for sure. But I just feel like some of those earlier scenes, when, when I see her acting, I don't feel like I get any sense that there's some hidden agenda. Do you know what I mean? That's the, I think that's the part that sort of leaves that I mean. I guess it's possible she had one that wasn't being revealed, but it just seems kind of, kind of odd. I mean, that said, I still like it. I think it was a cool twist. I think, I think it made for like a really nice melodramatic moment. And I like, I like the emotional note it ends on where, you know, he has that line about the flower, you know, the flower blooming every year will be the same as seeing her grave or something like that. You know, it's, it's kind of got the nice sort of, melodramatic punch that that you like to get at the end of a um you know a big wuxia finale so you know i I thought i thought it all worked i just i just don't think it just wasn't as powerful as like the hero shed no tears movie was for me do you know what i mean where there are these scenes where i was just stunned when i saw them and i was like i just did i really just see that happen do you know what i mean like that kind of thing Um, no there's another thing that i just thought of um in connection with what you were saying about her turning out to be working for the other side that seemed to came, come out of nowhere. It relates to something I was going to bring up earlier, which is the language aspect. And uh, I, you know, for the most of the, for the most part in this podcast we've been doing, I've kind of tried to not get too much into language stuff because I think it's not particularly relevant to what we're talking about. But in this one, I did notice some language things. And uh, on the one hand, I, so I was actually kind of, half watching the movie and listening to it which Mm. is hard to do sometimes with wuxia um for me depending on the level of chinese like sometimes it's you know like i mean if you're watching something like i'm trying to think of a good analogy in um in english like if you're watching i don't know like maybe csi or something where maybe csi isn't a good a good example but you know if, if the dialogue is one way you can do something else and listen to the TV show and still get yeah. it. But if you're in other shows, you can't do that. This was one where my Chinese level was good enough that I didn't really need to actually watch it and read the subtitles to understand mm. it. Their Chinese was pretty clear and not, not too complicated. Um, and so I was kind of half watching, but on numerous occasions I, w- I looked over and was actually looking at the subtitles and they were just wrong. And so, okay. and for again, since there's one specific scene, I actually wrote this down to talk about before we got into the whole, um, her, betrayal seeming to come um out of nowhere there's one part where he I, this is the scene where Xiao Shi Long goes to he goes back to where they planted the flower or whatever and then uh Shen Bijun is there and they kind of talk and then the girl jumps out yeah the bad guy girl. oh yeah we got to talk about that girl too at some point okay that's we'll talk about her in a second but the point is in the in the in the English subtitles he goes what are you doing here? And in the English subtitles, she says, I followed you here. But that's not what she says in Chinese. In, Ch- in, in Chinese, he goes, what are you doing here? And her answer is, 
I'm here with Shambi Jun. Okay. She says, I came here with her. So oh, it's like totally okay. different in Chinese. And so, I, and that was just oh. one random thing that I noticed. And I just, I'm curious, or I would have to go back because again, I, I, I try not to focus too much on language aspects for the Righteous Blood podcast because that's not the point. I just wonder if I went back and compared all the, the dialogue to the subtitles, I wonder mm. if there wouldn't, there might not be a few other little random that's... twists here and there that might change the understanding of her well, character. That's it. I think that's an interesting one. I think another one was the Fung character. Her her nickname in this was Man Junkie, right? Which I was wondering is that <laughs> like that? I mean, that seemed like an, an awkward translation to me. But then I was like, well, maybe maybe they wanted to go for something like that. Do you know what I mean? So like, I didn't know. Uh, I don't think so. I think that back in these days, I mean, assuming the, I don't know where the subtitles came from, but the, honestly, the subtitles were just there. Like there was another part where. They had her, I just did a, a YouTube video about this, about translating cussing. And there was one line, it wasn't like bad cussing or something, but the Shambi Jun character said something along the lines of what the hell is going on here or what the hell is this place? She didn't use anything close to like the hell in mm -hmm. Chinese. She just like asked the normal question. And I, I feel like the what the hell kind of, <laughs> I am so okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that didn't exist in Chinese. And I didn't take notes, but there were other ones like that. So I feel okay. like maybe some of that had at an effect on, I mean, it has to have an effect on your perception of it and maybe even that aspect of her, her character. So in the, um, in the movie, the, the, the bad guy that you were referring to is named little Lord and it's played by uh, candy. Wen, um, who's in, you know, plays a lot of characters kind of like this, I think, but, uh, and in the book, I think it was translated as little mister. Uh, and it's pretty much the same character in both stories. I feel like, they definitely gave the character way more screen time in the movie. Like, it's a much bigger role, even though it's still a pretty substantial role in the book. Um, it's just that the character appears earlier and stuff. Um, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting character because in the book, it's very clear that she's going around acting like a guy. Like, she's dressed as a guy and everybody thinks it's a man. And then over the course of the story, you find out it's a woman. And in the, in the book, it's kind of there, but I feel like it's a little bit... It's like... Uh, I feel like that gets dropped a lot more quickly in the movie. Um, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? Um, I honestly don't have any any big thoughts on it because her character, um, you know, despite how much I know about Chinese culture and how many of these movies I've watched and how much of the stuff I've read and how much of the stuff I've translated, one of the hardest things for me to get over is the female character dressed as man character that nobody realizes is woman except she's like obviously like yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. and so for her character like and plus i obviously know the actress as well and so i didn't like when the part came when they like were confused that she was a man i was like what how could they be? and then i'm like yeah. oh right she's wearing men's clothing yeah. and she has a different title and different like that um it's just one of those again, conventions like, i think because i can if you go back to like even earlier movies there's a lot of films like i have some old horror movies from the 60s and stuff and a couple old wuxia movies where they have female actresses playing male characters um it's a little it's not it's it's still obvious but it's maybe not quite as obvious but it's still obvious um that it's that it's female but they're not they're not meant to be disguised as a man they're meant to be a man in the movie do you know what right. i mean yeah and so i think but I, and i think for an american viewer that's a little jarring um but but i don't know it's in so many films that you just kind of I, I feel like i've gotten used to it at this point where it's just like you know that's just the yeah 
She's just I mean, dressed, she's just like I'm, a guy, so she's supposed to be a guy, and that's the right. Like I totally understand it. It's just that sometimes I I forget about it, and in this case, I did. Just it didn't even occur to me that she was passing herself. Of course, I think probably some of it is has to do with I don't. I think that I'm guessing that the they don't want them to look that much. Like if they had done, a, they could have much. They could have very easily made her look much more like a like a, a male character if they wanted to. Like, I think in real life, in a real life situation in ancient China, if a woman wanted to pass herself off as a man, I think it would be much easier and much yeah. more realistic. Yeah. But they kind of, in some cases, I think they don't really want that necessarily. You know, and they're yeah. relying more on the audience to buy into it and get what's what's happening without it being super ultra-realistic. Yeah, no, and I, th- and I think it's one of those things that there are just certain things that, you, you know, you're willing to handle, you know, like different... Different styles of movie and different places of film are willing to hand wave certain things, you know. That, like, uh, like I'm trying to think of an example in American movies, like, like the, the like the old convention of shooting the gas tank in American action movies. That used to just be, you just accepted that that's you know you shoot the gas tank it blows up. Do you know what I mean? It didn't didn't matter if it wasn't totally plausible. We, it was just a logical thing that could happen within a movie. I don't yeah, think it's yeah. a, I don't think it's a convention anymore so much, but it used to be, and like. You know, I think this is one of those things where also I do feel like in more recent Wuxia films, it's a little bit more believable sometimes. Whereas yeah. In, in these ones, like the woman still has makeup on and stuff. So, yeah. You know what I mean? That's, so, yeah, that's what I yeah. mean. So, but I think the character is very fun and interesting and vicious. She's a very vicious villain. That's what I like about her. Um, yeah. Like the scene where she, well, here's another, like, okay, going back, this relates again to your previous observation about the the true identity of Shambi Jun character when she meets her and then Shambi Jun is like, what are you doing here? Or something. She's like, I'm here to kill all these people. And then whoop, like she kills yeah. her handmaids and kills everybody yeah. with but chopsticks. She throws it, two chopsticks at the handmaids yeah. and kills them. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of chopsticks, you know, this here, here's a good tie in to, uh, to the, to our game, which we didn't mention chopsticks as a weapon. Um, and I don't know if you if you thought about that. I actually did think about it because I feel like, and I, I'm actually like, okay, I, I want to word. I want to choose my words carefully here. The use of chopsticks as a weapon is pretty common in wuxia films, but I think a lot of what I have seen, a lot of people who aren't familiar with wuxia doing, is translating that um, in a game into like there's a chopstick ability or something, but yeah. I don't get that read in Wusha. Like, it's not like there's like, I am chopstick jaw. And like, I use, Oh, I get what you're saying. Weapon. Yeah. It's more like they are a common improvised weapon, uh, but not yeah. a common choice of unusual Jianghu weapon. Does that yeah. Make sense? Yeah. No, I think, I think martial arts in Wusha, especially like the unarmed martial arts is, is well, not the unarmed, but like the, I don't know how to put it. There's like an improvised weaponry thing that goes on where I should be able to turn like a, a, a penny into a weapon or turn a pen into a weapon or turn a cup into a weapon or turn chopsticks into a weapon and chopsticks just work visually because the person's eat, like especially for comedic scenes or scenes they're supposed to have like i don't know certain beats going on the person's eating their food and then they're attacking somebody and they can kind of still have that calm repose and eat while they're deflecting attackers um so i mean you know you see you see it in a in a, in a bunch of scenes and i know that it definitely shows up in like the the drunken master type movies as well, just for the the comedy right. purposes. Or in um, you know, I have to point out this is just a really really random observation that has nothing to do with anything except chopsticks. But the 
Okay, I know you're not a you don't have kids, so you don't watch um you know animated stuff. Have you ever watched Kung Fu Panda? Long, long time. Okay, long ago. time. Well, long there's time. the point is there's the scene in Kung Fu Panda where there there's a chopstick scene where they're like okay. using chopsticks to fight for food. Oh, it's okay. like a it's like a complete. I don't want to say rip off because maybe it's an homage, but like that same thing happens in Iron Monkey. I don't know if you remember, but Donnie Yen's character and the I forget the actor's name. It's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, the Wong Fei Hung in in the sorry no uh, Donnie Yen was playing Wong Fei Hung's dad in the movie and there's like a chopstick scene where they're they're competing over food in the plate with chopsticks like almost exactly from Kung Fu Panda but anyway the point is just yeah so and that's that, a, I, I that's a really good movie by the way for people that have Iron it. Monkey yeah Iron Monkey is a really good movie I um, see a lot of people um you know, talking about that. In fact, we haven't talked about that in relation to Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades. I mean, it 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 would definitely work. Um, it's very late in Chinese history. It's like I think it's it's late Qing Dynasty, right? Wong Fei Hong lived. Yeah, it's it's Qing really, Dynasty yeah, time. So it, I think it's so, a pe- it's a period that I'm generally not as drawn to. Like I'll watch those movies. Like I watched like the old Jet Li movies and stuff. I, I liked and things yeah. like that. But um, but I usually like stuff that's a little bit earlier. I find. Same, yeah, same here. But that's definitely a good one. I mean, it's the one of the difficulties with Iron Monkey is that it has a pretty um, significant use of firearms, and we don't uh, touch on firearms yeah. uh, at all. So anybody a, a a GM who is trying to emulate that would need to to homebrew some stuff. Sorry, I derailed. We were originally talking about. Well, the yeah. So what, how we got there was. And the impressive thing about it is she she impaled the two maid servants with the chopsticks. Right, that's like, why it was kind of cool. Yeah, um, so I, you know I always I, I just always liked that particular death scene. I thought it was kind of fun. But we were just talking about that scene, and I, I forget what you you were saying. How she she was saying, was saying I'm here to kill all these it, people. Right, but if you take a step back, does that if 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 the Lan Chengbi's character was a traitor from the very beginning, then that entire encounter was completely set up just to get uh Xiao Shi Long that's, together yeah, with her, apparently. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I mean and I guess it kinda of works. It just, I just think it's extremely elaborate, right? It's like it's right. extremely <laughs> elaborate. And it, and it and depends also it would on, rely on, yeah. on a lot of coincidences. Yeah, and, and people doing certain things and all that stuff. You know, like uh but 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 again it is the kind of film where you aren't really supposed to like like sometimes yeah. modern audiences get annoyingly critical. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. like I'm I'm involved in some unrelated gaming threads where people are really taking a fine tooth comb to another game that has nothing to do with Righteous Blood or anything like that. It's a horror game, but I'm really into. And the levels of criticism people are believing bringing to believability are, in my opinion, kind of ridiculous sometimes, right? And I think yeah. sometimes you can do that with movies instead of just relaxing and having fun. But this is a movie where I feel like every time I get to the final scene, I immediately say, wait, does that add up? Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, and you know me, I'm not normally the person to, yeah. like, I'm not usually that picky about things like that. Usually, if anything, you're somebody who's a little more picky than yeah. me and I'm the <laughs> one defending it. So, but, but in this case, I just always ask that question. So, um, but yeah, so, so, so I don't know, but, but, but I still like that scene because I like how. In the book, there's a scene where, where with the poisoned eggs, and you have the whole scene with the, with the eggs and everything. And I don't know, I, I you know, I think it's a good setup. Um, Actually, that's a, you you mentioning that makes me think of something I did want to bring up, which was, uh, and I can't remember how this was handled in the book, but it's something that that did pull me out of the um, 
the movie a little bit in this in in the sense that when this when this happened or sorry i'm talking about when they drink the tea so basically they walk in drink the tea and then they get knocked out yeah to me that really sort of was like kind of i was like wait a second what because um in wuxia like it's such a trope that things are poisoned and i'm like man these you know he's supposed to be this like super top ultra like wuxia uh jianghu figure yet he just randomly goes into some really <laughs> mysterious creepy place and then just drinks the tea like what like uh, wait a second it is so, a very james bond kind of level of poise you know like like he would always i don't, I don't know maybe, maybe it's something people make fun of more than is a reality but i feel like i have a lot of memories of james bond being poisoned by a martini that he shouldn't have been poisoned by you know um but i guess but in the book it's a little different i think in the book they uh they wake up in the house and then they get the tea after seeing the thing and so they're already wow. kind of like residents of the house being cared for because of their wounds and uh, I think the tea is presented okay. as a medicine, if I recall. I don't remember exactly. And in this one, it's actually a little bit more like... Um, they. It's weird, because they actually kind of tell them like what's going on, and then they give them the tea. So it's not even like... Like they say, yeah, yeah this dollhouse, all those people are real martial heroes who have been shrunken down yeah. by a method from the... Tea. Yeah, yeah. Now, oh, by the way, have some tea. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little more... Um, I mean, I get what they were doing, because in order for the... In order for the illusion to work, they need to see the the miniature house and kind of have a sense of. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they so when they wake up and 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 everything looks like the miniature house, so they can believe that they're inside this miniature landscape. Do you know what I mean? It's a that scene actually made me laugh because uh, it, the way it worked, it, the way it actually happened was. It to me, it came across as just being like really clumsily. Like I get what they're like exactly what you were saying was what they were going for, but I feel like it just. So here's what happened: they walk in and they're like, "Wow, these are look like real people." And he's like, "Well, in fact, they are real people who yeah. have been shrunken by my master and forced to live here. They can only come to life on every full moon." And then literally one second later, the Lianchen B character is like, "Hey, there's tea here." And like that was it. I'm like, wait, what? Like, well, you just found out that they can shrink people that only come back on the full moon, or and, you, and you're and nobody's like, what? Like, they weren't surprised or anything. They were just like, oh, that's pretty interesting. All right, let's have some tea. It, it, I I think they could have done it a little bit smoother. I will say this: he did, he did say before he mentioned all that stuff about the uh, about the house. He said, you know, you've had a long journey. You must be thirsty. I'll get some tea. So right, I think, right. I think that it, but still, then he goes on and says that. And I think it's, uh, uh, I don't know. I think it would make you a little bit suspicious, but, but maybe they were just being polite. Do you know what I mean? That this is a, yeah. this is a movie where he's with this woman who is, 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 uh, where propriety is important. And in the book, you really see it in the movie. You don't quite see it as much, but in the, in the, in the book, there are scenes where like, there are men who clearly are trying to abduct her and she goes with them because it would be improper to even, suggest that they're they're trying to do anything but help her do you know what i mean because because they're men of good reputation or something do you know, you know? Yeah. and so so uh i don't know if they were trying to do that there or not but um but either way i think i think that is a weird thing on the other hand i i do like the weirdness of it where it's like hey here's a movie where the characters are maybe being shrunken into a house and well, I think yeah. that's that that shrunken into a house thing is a pretty cool aspect, which I want to touch on that when we have a minute to talk about, um, you know, drawing on this movie for sessions well, or campaigns or whatever. Well, but before that, 
I wanted to give another thought about the poisoning thing, which I feel like this is an, this is one of those wuxia tropes, which is really, it's kind of odd because I, this kind of touches on what I was talking about in one or two, I think one or two podcasts ago about the bodyguards. Remember we were talking about how like, I feel there's a, there's a presumption that low level bodyguards aren't going to get killed. Um, yeah in the larger setting, but in the movies that like happens every single time. I think, I think poison is supposed to be like that where it's like characters get poisoned all the time in movies and in the novels. And you would think that they would be a lot more careful about it. And I guess my theory about it is, you know, we see a higher percentage of poisonings in the novels and movies because that's what's supposed to happen. But in the re in the real larger young, maybe it's not as common, but seriously, like I can think of dozens of, okay, maybe not dozens, but I can think of so many movies where, the Wuxia main characters who are the top figures just eat or drink stuff and then get poisoned. And I'm thinking like, man, like, wouldn't you guys be at least a little bit more cautious? Have you ever seen the movie Buddha's Palm or Eagle I, Shooting I have, Heroes or Eagle Shooting Heroes? I have, but those were ones that are probably at this point, like 12, 13, 15 years ago. Okay. So I kind of well, like, cause there's a, there's a line in, in, in Buddhist poem. I forget the exact plot device, but some guy, I think he gets killed or betrayed. And the narrator's like, if only he had read more Wuxia novels, he would know that he, <laughs> you know, he, he, you know, he shouldn't have trusted him and he would be alive. You know, it's just that kind of a line. I forget exactly what he said, but it was really funny. And, and Eagle shooting heroes is a parody of the genre. It's kind of, you know, it's like, a, um, you know, it, but it's really wacky. It's much more wacky than Buddhist poem. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know. We could have probably a very in-depth discussion about that. Yeah. I always kind of imagine the Jiang Hu just being extremely violent. Do you know what I mean? Like I kind of, I kind of buy into the Choi Yuan, Cheng Che, like, like I was just watching the boxer from Sheng Tung the other day just for fun. And, um, and it's, uh, and also I might, I might be reviewing it next week on uh Wuxia weekend. Cause I don't think we've done that, but, uh, but, but in that movie, and again, it's not quite Wuxia. It's more of a Kung Fu film. But that's about a guy rising up in Shanghai from nothing to becoming this big boss. But there's this theme of how it's just this cyclical thing where, you know, there's always a guy rising up and then falling and another guy rising up and then falling and another guy rising up and then falling. And it's all predicated on, you know, people that are willing to engage in this kind of violence are eventually going to die by this kind of violence, you know. So I don't know. I feel like in a martial world where you're constantly getting into sword fights and dealing with shady characters, you're you know, you're going to get, eventually your number is going to come up, you know, like, um, but, uh, but yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I just, I feel like, um, I feel like that would lead to being, to people being generally more cautious though, but maybe that's, I, think know, so. I don't know how real life, um, I, I guess the best analogy to, to Jiang, who is the best and most easily accessible analogy is probably like, mafia like yeah. stuff kind of and I, I don't know how mafia guys like do mafia guys constantly worry about getting poisoned at restaurants or i guess they so don't. yeah no so yeah. i i love mafia movies mafia guys always worried about getting whacked that's their big thing am i yeah. gonna get so like am I, I you know when they go to a meeting it's like am i going in and somebody's just gonna shoot me in the back of the head but there's also this thing in mafia films and i think in the real mafia where you just have to accept that as a risk and you go anyways do you know what i mean like it would be like in a lot of these movies it's kind of considered in a lot of these shows it's considered like bad form to just not do you know what i mean to to to, to, to almost not walk into it do you know what i mean there, there are different takes on it but there's definitely that that's definitely one 
point of view that you kind of see in a lot of these films, especially one like, say, like Donnie Brasco. Do you know what I mean? Um, but uh, but yeah, I go on and on about mafia movies. Sure. But until... I mean, I've, I've gotten on a, I don't know if you know Michael Francisi. I've been kind of on a kick yeah. of watching his, his YouTube channel. Yeah, it's, I know that channel. I know that channel. <laughs> I've learned a lot about mob stuff. I, I read his stuff. book too. I think, he, I think he had a book yeah. many years ago. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, I, I, I mean, I'm not as deep into it now, but there was a period where I was just constantly reading crime books written by ex-mafia people. Like, uh, uh, Gravano had a book, you know, there's a lot of books by ex-mafia people or people whose families were in the mafia and things like that. Um, and, you know, and, and I grew up in a household where mafia movies were just, you know, like on, on all the time. Um, but, uh, the, the only other thing about the movie I want to talk about before we get to gaming it is um is the music. And I don't know, maybe you didn't even oh, notice the music. But I just, did. I wanted to ask you about it actually. Yeah. So so just so people know that the, there's a like a lot of these movies they have it's almost like it almost sounds like canned music sometimes like you sometimes think it comes from another film or, but it's usually used really well. It's kind of like a there's almost like a remix quality to it. Like they take some theme from like a uh, um spaghetti western movie and just really use it well to create an emotional effect and this one was a really odd choice i don't know what the music was it sounds familiar but it's got kind of like a baroque sound to it and it's like a harpsichord and i think an oboe and it's a little bit delightful but it's also it sounds like it might be in a minor key because there's a little there's like a little bit of melancholy in it but it's but but it's i don't know it it's not it's not atmospheric or brooding like a lot of the music sometimes is in these kind of films. Um, so when I first saw the movie, that was the first thing I noticed. I was like, oh, I, I like the sound of that music. That music intrigues me. Um, but I don't know. What, what did you think of the, of, the, of the music in the film? And what was your question about it? I mean, well, the thing was, is that I mean, I basically had the same observation as you, but also the tune sounded really familiar. Like I was yeah. like, this definitely has to be from something else. And I was hoping you would be able to I, identify. No, it. I, I have the same thing. And like, it's one of those things like, why can't there be a search engine where I can just hum the song and it yeah. shows up <laughs> for the I like because well, it's I feel like I can almost picture a movie forming in my head when I hear the music like that, but I don't, I lose it. And I don't know if it was, if it's just one of those things that's been in a bunch of films or if it comes from a specific movie or, or what? Well, I'll I tell you, you know what? There is one movie that's popping to mind and this could just be random, but maybe it's, it's connected. I, I, I I'm going to go through to some of the spaghetti Westerns I've watched recently. Cause I've, I've watched in the past, maybe two years, I've watched a handful, but I remember pretty much every single one. And I feel like maybe it's from there. And specifically there's one called my name is nobody. And for some reason it just makes me think of that. So okay. I'm going to go back and watch that. I don't know if you've seen my name is nobody, but I have it's kind of, I have okay. It's great. It's a, uh, the main character is kind of a sort of a rascal, um, sort of roguish sort of guy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this my name is nobody is one of those ones which I've mentioned to you before that is you could change the names and change the guns to swords and you know make a few tweaks and it could be totally be a wuxia novel so I'm I'll go back and listen to it maybe that's where I'm I'm remembering it from but I also have the same so it was like very upbeat kind of yeah. like that da -da 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 thing <laughs> and then also the last scene has it like I felt like the last scene should have been like you know like 
orchestral like chorus kind of thing or, or i don't know something dark but it's just kind of like do 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 and he's like kind of walk, walking up I, th- I i could be wrong because I, I i i didn't i didn't figure out the melody on the guitar neck or anything and i would need to do that to tell you what the scale is and what the key is to me it sounded like it's possible this is actually in a minor key but it's played in an upbeat way and if that's the case might not be the case i think one of the reasons why it's peculiar is because of that and maybe that's why they chose it because there's sort of a combination of sadness and joviality that reflects the nature of the main character who's kind of this wandering vagabond who is sort of accepting all of the cruelties of the world and you know just you can picture him mourning the loss of this woman but then you know devouring another bowl of eggs and getting drunk and you know, gazing at a tree and finding something beautiful about it, right? Like, it's like that kind of character. So, so I don't know. Um, but it's definitely, I mean, it definitely makes you think. You hear that music and you're like, that's an interesting choice. I wonder why they went with that. And I don't know. I, I, I'm, every time I watch the movie, I kind of am, I start thinking about the music and I don't really know why they chose it. Um, but, uh, but anyways, yeah. So I don't know. In terms of making this into a, a gameable thing my take really would probably be more to uh rip characters from the movie or rip things like the the house concept and i guess it would all pivot on whether i decide to go if this is going to really be a house that people get shrunken down into or whether it would be an illusion like it is in the movie i think the drawback of the illusion approach is it's it's kind of a setup that you that like you're it's going to feel like a railroad if you do it wrong you know what I mean? Like it's got to be something where you put that into the setting and you allow it to happen if it naturally arises. Like the players go there and they drink the tea and it happens. But if you push it too much just so it happens, I think the players might resent it. So I'd be a little yeah. bit reluctant. Yeah, I was saying that I, I when we were chatting earlier, I was just saying it could be a really cool thing. So to I mean, we've kind of done a lot of spoiling already, but basically full spoilers here. Basic uh, full, full spoilers, they get given this tea they get knocked out in the movie at least they get knocked out when they, when they wake up they're told you have been basically or they're not told that they assume that they have been transformed into these they call them puppets in the movies uh in uh the novel dolls i think dolls in chinese it's wow which is actually all right so we're back on i just want to explain to people what happened was jeremy lost power and so that caused a disconnection we're going to try to to finish up the 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 podcast with this but there might be some sound issues uh because he had to shift to another device and i don't know how much time he's going to have uh on battery and stuff so so all right so jeremy uh what were you saying when we got cut off i i i know it skipped my mind i forgot (laughs) um i think we were talking we were talking about the music oh no then we talked we started we were talking about gaming it and how you can um Oh yeah. Okay. So I was saying that I, it could be a very cool setup and the spoilers going to the spoilers. Basically they are shown this dollhouse with figures inside that resemble famous people from the martial arts world. Then they are given a tea where they uh, go unconscious. Oh, I'm sorry. Before they go unconscious, they're told, Oh, these are actual real people that have been shrunk down and forced to stay in this dollhouse. Then they pass out, they wake up and, they are in that same house with those people. And yeah. so they assume that they have been transformed into these, uh, you know, shrunken dolls or whatever. Uh, spoilers. It turns out they are not, it's actually a trick. Yeah. Uh, but 
either whether it's a trick or not, I think that's a it would be a really cool thing to throw into a game. And as you mentioned, it's it would be very tricky to pull it off because it would rely on a lot of factors that could uh, that w- would basically involve railroading the players, yeah. probably for the most part. That said, it would I think you could probably if you were going to do a one shot, you could probably handle it if you. Um, like for example, if you know you have a couple hours to do a one shot, and you, your setup is a narrated section where you know you explain to them, you know you go into this room and they say this, and you drink some tea, and then you wake up, and then you kind of set them up in there uh, as the setup, and that might work. Doing it in a in live play in an actual campaign would probably be a lot harder. Also, I think um, I think I think it would work really well in a sandbox as something the players could explore if they choose to, and they go and engage it. But if they leave it alone, it's just that, do you know what I mean? Like there yeah. one advantage of sandbox plays, you can pop things like that into the setting and it's, if the players explore it, it's, it's fair game, but if they choose not to, they don't. And so there's no railroading issues. So I think you could do it that way too. Another thought I had is if, if you did it as this is really you shrinking down and going into a dollhouse, I think, I don't know. I know it's a little bit out of genre, but I feel like that's a little bit more gameable. Um, and I, and I think it's also a little more fun and there is kind of a tradition in like some of the weirder movies in the genre of things like that happening. So, you know, you like, you, you know, like the, 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 some, some of the, some of the movies push the boundaries a little further. And so I think you could maybe get away with it. You know what I mean? Like have it be a special elixir that makes you diminutive or something. I don't know. Um, you know, some kind of internal or external alchemy type thing. Um, but, uh, but what I was thinking is this might be a good plot to blend with, um, Oh God, what was the movie that the vanishing was based on? The one with the movie with Keith or Sutherland where he drinks the coffee and he wakes up in the coffin. I think it was oh, called The Vanishing. I, do, you, do you know what I'm talking could about? Could be. I, I, no, I'm not sure. There was a French movie it was based on. But basically, his girlfriend goes missing, and he spends years trying to figure out what happened to her. And he's obsessed with it. And he eventually finds the guy that's responsible for his disappearance. And the guy explains to him, like, his whole backstory and, like, the reason why he's doing stuff. I don't have time to get into that here. It's very interesting. But the bottom line is, he says, look, I have this coffee. Drink this coffee. If you drink this coffee, you'll find out what happened to your girlfriend. And then the guy wakes up and he finds out what happens to his girlfriend. I think if you had a situation in an adventure where there was a mystery and somebody vanished and you had an NPC that said, hey, drink this elixir and you can find out what happened or you can kill me and I'll never tell you what happened. Do you know what I mean? Like that's an interesting choice for a party to go down. And and obviously you don't want the party to wake up in a coffin. That's a little bit, that's a little bit too much, I think, in terms of like, consequences for a choice like that but if you had to wake up in a dollhouse do you know what i mean where there's an adventure yeah. that would be cool another possibility is you could have them drink the thing knowing that they're going to get shrunk down because in that dollhouse is something that they need to get but they have to be small to properly explore it do you yeah. know what i mean um so I, I i think it could work as a you know from either angle you know yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways you could work it in and a lot of ways that you could utilize it to to make a really fun setting. Yeah, I think I think it would be, and, and I do think a lot of it does pivot on how willing you would be to make it actually sh- a shrink down dollhouse versus whether it would need to be more of the illusionary dollhouse. And I think you can do the illusionary dollhouse, too. I just think it would be that that probably requires a little bit more forethought and uh yeah uh well the the way they did it in the movie was they had them like walk out and they're like 
there's a pair of chopsticks or so. oh here we yeah. all go on chopsticks again but there's a pair of chopsticks that are stuck into the ground or i think there's a bowl or a cup yeah. or something as well and like they saw that if i remember they saw it on the outside and then they see it on the inside and they're like oh my god i mean that would work even that would work in a role-playing game pretty easy because you just describe it but then yeah. again if the players start looking closely at it then you're going to have to determine like how how likely is it that they'll be able to realize that yeah. it's not an actual pair of chopsticks that's you know well and in the book the way he figures out that he's in a dollhouse is that he can see the sun or he's not in a dollhouse is that he can see the sun and he's like well wait a uh, second i wouldn't be seeing the sun if i was in that room with the doll you know like it just and then he explains that to Tian, and Tian's like, yeah, I, I kind of saw that. I, I noticed that problem, too, but I figured most people wouldn't pick up on it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's a, uh, and I like also in in the movie, it's a little bit of a side note, but one of the things I like in the movie is how they they, 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 they phrase it probably differently than in the original language, but in the translation, she says, you know, we believe that people are jerks and can be easily deceived, and, you know, we can just trick them into thinking right, that they're inside yeah. of a doll. So so a lot of the reasons why the, the the plan is maybe so shallow too is because they just have such contempt for regular people. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that was kind of amusing. I don't know if it was meant to be as funny as it landed in the translation, but it, it landed kind of funny the way that it was phrased. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think the other thing too I would do is I might take a villain like Tian. And, and you know like he's yeah. kind of an interesting villain because his whole thing is he he does have contempt for people he thinks that they're easily manipulated by sex money power you know like like all these earthly things are easy tools to control people and he doesn't seem to be a victim to those things so i think he feels like he can manipulate other people in the world by 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 using those as lures and uh and and he's and he's also just like really cunning he's got you know he play like granted we were talking about how that that maybe there were some issues with the plot but like you know he he has his daughter marry this guy and be with him for two years as part of this plan that's like a really long-term cunning plan and uh and then when and then when his daughter doesn't play ball he starts attacking her and they're like whoa what are you doing she's your daughter and he's like well there's precedent of you know you know sons murdering their fathers to become emperor you know why shouldn't i you know you protect yeah. my he's just this guy that's operating at like a purely tactical strategical level and and a level of pursuing massive amounts of power and i think i think he'd make a very interesting villain in the campaign um so you could rip yeah and up. then and they also have there's also some good eccentric like minion characters as well one you know one of the things that really I know this is a really odd thing to to point out or to have noticed, but the um, there were like two zombie style characters. Yeah. And yeah. when they threw off their like outer robes, the female character was wearing like tight pants. And I, it, to me, it was really jarring. I was like, I've never seen a woman wearing tight pants in a in an ancient Wuxia setting. It was I mean, not, it not was that. jarring. It was I agree like, with you. I, I I did notice that. Also, they weren't just tight pants. She had like it was like bandages wrapped around her legs, yeah. right? So yeah. they kind of looked like mummies almost. Like it was like yeah. mummy type bandages. So maybe that's they were supposed to be zo- a zombie sex. So maybe that's why they were doing that. Um, yeah. What the interesting thing about that sect is the actress playing that character also played Mei Chao Fung in the Brave Archer series. And and it's just interesting that they said that Mei, Mei Chao Fung was one of their ancestors. So, uh, you know, I thought I thought I was... that Because that I line was always jarring to me. It's like, why'd they throw that in there? And then you have, you know... Um, 
So, but I also kind of like how sometimes in the movies they do kind of mix the franchises like that, and you have like the shared universe that emerges as a result. Um, even though in this case it was like very, you know, just this one little thing that kind of pokes its head into the story, and that's about it. Um, oh, can you hear me? Are you there? Yeah. Can you okay. Hear me? Yep, I can. Your right. video just went down. Um, right, there we go. But. Uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 I thought that I thought that was striking. I also like that scene, and I think there are lots of other really eccentric characters that would be interesting for a for a campaign. The same with the book. I mean, one of the one of the things that really stands out about the book is just all these eccentric characters that, like, I was I was reading a description on um, uh, SPCNet because I was trying to find out what happens in the second book, so I was just reading uh. everything I could, and it just became a discussion about Gulong stories and, <laughs> and 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 you know people like them or they don't. Some people are really turned off by his stories because they're a particular way, and there was somebody yeah. on there that wasn't as enthusiastic about Gulong as as we are. Harry <laughs> was saying he was like, ah, oh, these Gulong stories. It just turns into like a bunch of freaks just showing up and like you know, just. Um, That's that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very and, and I think I think there was a you know I think he basically said that and something about it just sounding like you know it's like a drunken writer just kind of you know losing track of the story type <laughs> thing. but but uh but I like like all of these eccentric characters that are there and the and 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 again they're in the book they're in the movie um you know Hawk King was one that you mentioned that's interesting there's a lot of others in the in the book what you get is a lot more of the hypocrisy of all of these characters who are supposed to be like really noble and they all turned out to be like super cunning and evil in their own way so like the guy who's like I think they call him like the the most noble gentleman he it turns out and he's got this reputation for like how he's always really nice to women and stuff like that it turns out he's like a pervert and you can't trust him at all with women. There's, you know, like the guy, you know, whatever they're they're known for, it seems that they're kind of like the opposite is the idea. Um, and and Zhao Xi Long is this character who's just getting blamed for all of these crimes that he didn't commit, and it's easy for everybody to blame him because he's like this low character that's associated with banditry, when in fact he's really more of like a Robin Hood type. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um. But yeah, so I don't know. Uh, anything else in terms of game ability that leaps out, or nothing that jumps to mind, other than the fact that it just has a lot of the tropes that are Gulong's famous for, and you know we tried to put in the into the game. Even just the the premise of the super important weapon that everybody wants, yeah, which is really key to the setting we created. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think uh, I think it's definitely uh, you know. It's de- it's de- it, this is definitely both a movie and a book where I think it fits right in with the Righteous Blood with the Splades thing. Um, it, it definitely For sure. fits in. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I don't know. Is there? I I don't know if we have anything that we can announce, right? Like the book is officially out now, right? Like February was the month that it was. Uh, it's been officially out for a long time, but now it's available in the United States in print, and so yeah, uh, you know, people yeah, can it's, get it's out everywhere, so people can get it. Um... Reviews are, I think, finally kind of starting to come in. Come in. I saw one on Amazon saying it's the best uh, Wuxia RPG in existence. So oh, that's I haven't kind of seen ni- that one yet. So yeah, so that's uh, nice. And uh, it's also available on PDF on their website. Uh, you know, I have tons of resources on my website in terms of links to all of the episodes of our podcast uh, to make it easy for anyone who hasn't seen them. 
I have links to some of the video reviews and unboxings, and I have uh, links to all of the movies that we recommend and just all sorts of stuff. So you can check out my website, which is jeremybuy.com for that. And um, yeah, I don't think we have any other news we can share at the moment. Okay. All right. So yeah, so so we'll head out um, and we'll be back on with another episode sometime soon. Uh, until then, people should you know do what Jeremy said and check out the game on the uh, on the Osprey website and uh, Drive Through RPG, and check out Jeremy's website. Check out my blog, uh, Jeremy. What's the uh, what's your URL? So it's again. my name, JeremyBuy.com, uh, and or you can just Google search me and it'll come up. And and you can for me you can do BedrockGames.net or Bedrock Game, no, the Bedrock Blog, the Bedrock Blog. Um, I'm terrible. At, uh, at pronouncing this. Oh, also, uh, the links on my website for things went down, apparently, for all of the print stuff. They're back up. I don't know what happened, but over the weekend, there was a problem. So if anybody had any issues, those are all up. Uh, and until next time, we will talk to you later. With the laughter comes the rain. With my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel. Dead or insane As you stumble through the night Soothe the anguish and the pain With the soft taste of blood